Blog Talk Radio. It's Wednesday afternoon, and we're excited to be on the air. Your hosts for today's show are Robert Brining and Jack McEnroe. They will be taking your calls and speaking out on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences. Remember to call is 347-215-9442. That's 347-215-9442. Welcome to Paz IM Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and happy Wednesday. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I am your host, Robert Brining, and I welcome back my co-host, Jack McEnroe. Jack, how you doing today, man? Hey, it's good to be back. It's been a welcome while. Back. How was your trip? Thank you. It was excellent. It was amazing. Um, I slammed my ass off, so I was very happy. That's good. That's good. I heard Yeah. Uh, you, you, I, we quoted your uh, Facebook page a few times. Um, when you uh, quoted yourself as the gay Michael Phelps, <laughs> minus a few golds. <laughs> well, it's funny because um, you know you can in the swimming meet you can only swim a maximum of five individual events and three relays, and I didn't really expect to win medals in every event, and I was just really shocked when I won eight medals. So I was like, oh, I'm like a big gay Michael Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome, you know. It just, yeah, I mean, it, it shows people you know out there that you can do amazing things even though you're HIV positive. So I think it's Yeah, and actually um what the one of the relays that I was on that actually won a gold medal was um there's another guy on my relay as well that's HIV positive and we're in the we're in the old ladies category now since we're um our average age is over forty. But we won the entire we, we beat all the young kids, we beat everyone. So um it was cool, yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, and it's cool. Um, Say what? I said we missed you on the radio show the last week. Thank you. Thank you. No, I miss miss doing it. I'm glad I'm back. So I'm back for a while. And um, I did just actually confirm I was talking to um, my Murr people, and we are for sure coming to Philly. So I will finally get to meet you in person, which is excellent. That will be great. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. So today we have a really cool show. I'm excited to actually have Sean and his wife, Gwen, on. Um, Sean Decker, the author of My Pet Virus. Um, a lot of people may know him from um, Paz.com. He has a blog on there called Sean's Paz Blog. And um, he's somebody who, again, you know, I just randomly went to the bookstore to look for a book of somebody living, you know, with a disease so I could relate. And seriously, his book was like the only book in the Barnes & Nobles about someone really? living with HIV and AIDS. It was like this, and then uh, and the band played on, which was obviously way too thick for me to even think about reading. Um, <laughs> you know, it was just way, I was like, no way, that's like a dictionary. <laughs> I can't do that. Um, but, like, his book was, I mean, to me it was amazing. It was funny, and it let you know that he's a real person, you know, who went through the same situations that, you know, everyone else with HIV goes through, the stigma and relationships and things of that nature. But he... He was just always a nice guy. I mean, I touched out to him, um, I reached out to him when I first got the book and started reading it and, you know, thanked him for writing it and told him how difficult it was for me to find other books about people living with HIV and AIDS. And he's always been a nice guy, and he's, I know he's super busy, him and his wife, and I'm just kind of glad to have them on to share their story because they're amazing, amazing people. Well, good, good. I'm a little bit interested to talk to Have you ever met Sean? No, I have not. Okay. That's what I was curious about. I have a, a, a caller on hold here. I was going to see. Sometimes we get um, – lately we've been getting uh, somebody who calls in through an interpreter and sits in and listens on the show. So uh-huh. I was going to see if uh, this person is Sean because it's not the number that he gave me. So I'm just going to bring them on and see. Okay. 804, you're on the air. Who's this? Hello? Huh. Okay, I'm going to say that that must be uh, the person with the interpretation. Because um, they've okay. been calling in and listening for the last couple shows. So um, Is it like a, a like a deaf interpreter? Is that, yes, or, yes. Okay. yes, the one person listens and types to them and then oh, got it. listen. So that's great. They can call back in if they got disconnected, and I'll let them sit on hold so they can hear. Um, so let me just t- talk a little bit about um, Jeff and Grant. Jeff, why did I say Jeff? Well, who am I thinking? Sean and Gwen. <laughs> I'm in another. You know why? Because Jeff's in the chat room. That's what it is. I just saw it. Oh, okay. got it. Um, 
Pull it together, Robert. Pull it together. Right? Pull it together. Well, I'm not in my usual location where I do my the radio show. So I'm in, like, my bedroom doing it where I'm not usually, you know, there. So it's a little uncomfortable for me not to be Right, not, you're not in your high-tech studio is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not in my other bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit about uh, Sean and Glenn. Uh, Sean met Glenn. They fell in love. Sean has HIV. Gwen doesn't. They keep it that way. When Sean and Gwen met, they never thought their relationship would be an open book or a tool for HIV education, but that's exactly what happened when friends encouraged the couple to go public with their healthy attitude towards sexual responsibility. For the last several years, they have spoken on hundreds of campuses, bringing humor and honesty to the sensitive subject of sexual health. Sean discusses his many years of living with HIV, having been infected as a child, and the two explain how Gwen remains HIV negative in their relationship. And I think the cool part about this, because I saw a little bit about uh, their videos, some videos on YouTube with them speaking, and they bring humor to it. And a lot of people don't laugh, you know, when it comes, like they don't, they think it's horrible to laugh about, you know, living with HIV. And Sean puts the twist on it, you know, that makes you laugh about everything. He says he's a very, very funny person. Right. Well, I actually, I've I've, um, used the quote. From, it's actually Sarah Silverman, and I need to give her credit for it, but it's like, when God gives you AIDS, make lemonades. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually kind of horrific, but I think it's really funny. And it's like, you know, at a certain point, you just have to, it is what it is, and you just have to, you have to deal with it. And, um, you know, you can't lament every moment of your life. It's like, you, you do the best as what you can, and you move on. And um, it's a good way to look at it, you know. And, and, you know, keeping a positive attitude is so, and, you know, it's the best medicine, so... Right. Let's see. I have them here on the line, so I'm going to bring them on. Sean and cool. Glenn, welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Hello. Hey. Hi. Hey. <laughs> nice to be How you with ma- you today. Yeah, we're glad you could um, fit us in. <laughs> I know you are probably really busy people. Nah, we uh, we we just got up a little bit ago. <laughs> <laughs> you you guys are it today, and we've been looking forward to this all week. So. We wanted to extend this interview to six hours. <laughs> okay, great. We hope you guys aren't busy. That's how we should put this. No, that's fine. I'm in bed. I think Robert's in bed. Like, we all just do this from bed. It's fine. <laughs> I yeah. came to bed. But I, I know. Think. I'm in the actual office, so I am get the only one here, like, at a desk. With, hey, yeah. you're the only one without HIV. <laughs> yeah. You don't get the bed right Thanks now. Yeah. <laughs> we're, sick. we're very sick. We have to lie down at all times. <laughs> yes, well, Sean tries to pull that card, but I I, I, I see right through it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you've been getting some mileage out of that Silverman quote, Jack. I know. It's good, right? <laughs> that thing comes in handy at a, at a dead party. Yeah, totally. <laughs> or I, the other one, I, I sometimes if I'm entering a door before someone, I say AIDS before beauty. So. <laughs> But, you know, some people think it's funny. Some people think it's a little off-color. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a good sense of humor and, I don't know, being able to laugh and not, not kind of not kind of thinking like you have it worse than anybody else, I think it's a big key to, like, enjoying life. And I think it actually helps your immune system to laugh and enjoy your day and have friends who kind of get you and, you well, know. Well, there's... Yeah, there's been lots of studies that actually prove that, that, you know, laughter and humor uh, really do help the immune system and a positive outlook really does help people's health. So I think it's anecdotal evidence, but I also think there's a lot of research behind that, and I think people can learn a lot from that. Right. So, Sean and Gwen, thank you both for coming on. I'm I'm just stoked to have you guys on. You know, I first reached out to you, I think, two years ago when I first got the book, and... um, it was so refreshing to have a book out there that I could read of somebody living with HIV because I didn't find it out there. Like you, your book was literally the only book on the bookshelf next to the band. <coughs> wow. And you know what I mean? And I was like, I don't understand. Are people not writing books? Are they not are, are like, what do you think that that's the reason that only your book was sitting there next to like you know, the statistic books and things of that nature? How come yeah. there's not more real life, I think they're out there. I think a lot of people um, have to self-publish, and I, I know I kind of knew going in when I wanted to write, um, you know, these life stories and, and have it out there. I wanted it to reach as many people as possible, so I felt like I needed kind of like a big publisher. Um, at the same time, I kind of did some research and understood that um, AIDS titles like kind of stopped selling in the 90s. So basically, it, it would have been like 
joining CNC Music Factory and expecting to like have a number one hit writing an eight. <laughs> 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 so, in 2006, that would have been a tough sell. So you know, I I kind of understood though, like in terms of you know Gwen and I speaking and and traveling around and and uh, you know communicating with college students that that um, they responded to how I chose to tell my story. Um, so when I was pitching it and all that, I kind of de-emphasized, like, you know, this is my life story in, in, in HIV, My Pet Virus, the title, it's kind of like that, the virus just kind of comes along for a lot of the journey, you know, it kind of, it bites me here and there, you know, like any bad pet would, but, um, so I, I just really kind of had to frame it in a certain way to get people to even listen to, to what I was trying to do, so I was fortunate that I found, um, you know, Jeremy Tarcher, which is, uh, you know, a, a a branch of um, the Penguin Group, and um, found somebody there, Tarcher Ken Simon, who who just really got behind it, and you know he he got USA Today to review it and all these other things. So like even people who wouldn't have known it was out there got to read about it and realize that they could go to their bookstore and get it. So for me, just having it be there, beside and the band played on, like I had a number one hit. I, you know, I wasn't in CNC Music Factory, but the fact that you saw my book beside a book that was so established and that other people in small towns, at least for a couple months until the bookstores returned them because nobody bought it, <laughs> had the chance to get it. And, and, and now with the Internet and everything, the word has spread, and, and I did right. like, have a good initial um, response to the book. So, so, yeah, I mean, for me, the most important thing was people need to have access to this. It's the same thing, you know, same way we feel about, you know, HIV medication and, and good health care. Like, people need to have access to it or, or the whole thing is pointless. And the thing, the good thing about it is, it's also a, it's affordable book. You know, it's not something that you're going to go in and spend a lot of money on. You can get it for under ten bucks in the bookstore. Yeah, yeah. You know, for me, that was like a bonus. Like, you know, like I don't know if it was intentionally set at that price or how it goes. You know, when you publish your book, but for me, that was great because it was something that I could afford and also relate to it in the long run. Yeah. And well, I, and I think Robert didn't you were wasn't it a few weeks ago that you were saying you read like three books in the last five years. So yeah, that's quite I'm, an investment. Not, that's quite it's quite an investment for you. <laughs> well, yeah, I told you I have a very short attention span, and if I can't relate to the story or the the book, I'm done with it. And I buy a lot of books and throw them to the side and not read them. And yours and like Marvel and Brown, The Naked Truth, I was able to relate to them because yeah. I felt like I could put myself as that person and understand what they were going through. So. That's yeah, why I have that, a difficulty an reading. And I, I have the same problem. Like, I just, you know, all the social networking and everything. Like, my friend just had a book published as well, and he was like, dude, you got to get on Goodreads. you got to get on Goodreads. And I, and I went on there, and I was like, okay, you know, I can do this. And some people had written some nice things about my pet virus, and so I thought, you know, well, this is cool. <clears throat> but then it stumped me because, like, one of the things on the profile was like, what book are you reading right now? <laughs> and I had to be like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to totally be a poser <laughs> <laughs> not only that, not only that, they kind of knew, you know, guys like us were out there, Robert, and it said, right. "What page are you on?" <laughs> I'll just leave that on check because, yeah, I I find books um, not as often as most people, but it, it definitely for me to finish a book, I have to really be into it, and um, mm -hmm. I just think I get bored really easily. So you're more of a magazine guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and I'm not. I'm not. You're a pop-up up book sort of I'm reader. A book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I put life like it's a pop-up book. So, but yeah, I think that I got to stop um, thinking that it's shameful that I don't read as many books as I should. It's kind of like back when I decided to speak out about HIV. I think I'm going to a new phase in my life where I'm going to talk about um, the fact that yeah, I had a book published and I don't. Really and you're illiterate. Books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something said oh, that uh, that the, the little Microsoft uh, Word paperclip was going to be the the first person to author a whole book when Sarah Palin's book comes out, but the paperclip actually wrote my pet virus. So I beat her to that punch. <laughs> <laughs> so, how often do you guys go out and speak together? Um, we have been speaking for like the past eight or nine years, and we. That's just me. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, we generally do about 30-ish schools or events a year. You know, it depends a little bit. 
um, on what's going on. And, you know, summer actually, you mentioned in the beginning that we were busy. Summer is actually totally our dead time because, you know, we, we generally do schools and colleges, so uh, no one's really in session, so it gives us kind of a summer break, just like students, which is kind of nice. Um, so things tend to get clustered up, obviously, around World AIDS uh, Week or around Valentine's Week, which also happens to be National Condom Week. Um, and a lot of campuses do things uh, for that. So uh, the programs tend to get clustered up a little bit. Um, but, you know, we go out on average once a week or something like that dur during the school year. I think cool. it's great. Yeah, we we started doing it back in 2000. And um, for me it was an interesting time, like, looking back, because we kind of started speaking and traveling a lot um, just after my diagnosis um, had been upgraded or downgraded, depending on how you look at it, to an AIDS diagnosis. So just about the time that I got sick and started HIV meds for the first time was the time where I really started traveling and, and, and being, like, kind of active in that way, um, like, pretty much for the first time in my life. So I think just the excitement of being able to, to reach people and, and, and speak with Gwen and, and be able to kind of, you know, talk about it as, as, as uh, you know, a couple and, and not just kind of like, hey, this is, you know, me living with HIV, which I think has absolute merit, and I'm so glad so many people are doing it. Um, but I think the excitement of doing that really was a distraction from what I was dealing with with my health at the time. So I'm I'm glad the timing of it worked out, but I look back at it now, and I'm like, wow, I was traveling a lot, and look at the pictures, and I can tell I wasn't, like, physically feeling that good, but I could tell emotionally, like, I was kind of the happiest, you know, I'd ever been. Right. Um, so just for people that don't, I mean, there's a bio and stuff on the, on the website and whatnot, but could you kind of just give a brief overview of your, like, life history and how you came about to the point you are today? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like, uh, I, I was born with hemophilia, which is a blood clotting disorder, and, um, right. it means, you know, I rely on blood product treatments more so when I was a kid, because I was just, you know, getting banged up and stuff, just learning to walk and play with my friends growing up, you know, like, typical, like, small-town American existence in the 80s. Like, you know, we didn't play video games too much because, you know, we had Atari, and, you know, you had to pretend <laughs> a block was an actual person. Right. <laughs> Wait, how old, are, how old are you? Are you, you're, how old yeah. are you? How old am I, Gwen? Am I 34? <laughs> yes, you're 34. <laughs> okay. Because I was, like, I was, I was, I, in Sonya thinking, you mentioned that your favorite band was Depeche Mode, and I was like, so it might be, it must be around my age somewhere, because <laughs> I had, all through high school, I wore a big army jacket that said Depeche Mode on the back. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah. yeah, I got punched a lot for that, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, got, I got ridiculed too, which, which you know, I kind of wrote about in the book, which, which gave me, like, you know, a certain amount of pride to be like, wow, I'm writing this book in 2006, and this band is still, like, you know, selling out Madison Square Garden. Totally. <laughs> so, so I kind of felt, like, vindicated because, you know, Kid Row wasn't selling out Madison Square Garden. And right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, basically, you know, with hemophilia, like the the the, the blood um, the blood supply, you know, it would it's been tainted with HIV. So, the blood products were tainted um, as a result, and so I was I was probably infected, um, you know, in the early 1980s. Um, I didn't get tested until 1987. I was in sixth grade, and um, when I got tested. Um, I was uh, kicked out of my, my sixth grade um, class. Um, I missed, like, the last month of school because, um, you know, people involved, you know, with the school board and um, the superintendent were pretty nervous about me being there. And once word got around, parents were um, threatening to uh, to take their students out. And so it kind of became this, this sort of little battle that was being waged. I didn't even know what was going on. Well, that was still kind of back when, I mean, there was this hysteria about, how you could get it, and people were miseducated, and, you know, they didn't know if you could get it through just, like, touching people and casual contact, and there was that whole debate was still kind of going on, right? Yeah, totally, and I had, you know, I had friends, parents who, you know, I'd kind of grown up with who wouldn't let me spend the night anymore, and there was that fear of transmission, and, and uh, you know, my mom couldn't really, like, kind of explain it to someone's liking that, that me spending the night, um, you know, wouldn't be a danger. And I think hemophilia maybe added another risk where people thought, well, he has that bleeding thing. You know, what if he, right. you know, we didn't care so much before if he if he bled because we understood that you guys, you know, could could handle that and he could be treated. But 
But the HIV thing just freaked people out, and then I think. But I do want to interject that you know I think Sean sometimes uh, I know that Sean sometimes lets people off a little bit easy, and um, when he was kicked out, it was actually after the whole Ryan White incident, I guess if you want to call it, when he was kicked out of his school and became a huge you know media storm, and really when they fought back and said that you know, you can't transmit it through casual contact and all that. So this actually was after that. So okay. I think that, I mean, it was right after, but it still was after all of that. So I don't want Sean to kind of give people too much of an out because there had been just recently, a, you know, a kid exactly like Sean with hemophilia who contracted HIV who was kicked out of his school, and they and, you know, there was this discussion in the national media about that already. So there was precedent, really. They yeah. should have kind of been more educated. Exactly. Yeah. So as I was saying, these assholes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they're all listening. You can name the names. <laughs> but but yeah, it was you know I think it was you know it was it was confusing for me because I had this this new medical condition. I'd lived my whole life with a medical condition, hemophilia, and so right from the beginning with HIV, I saw that this medical condition came with like a lot of extra baggage that. It, that, you know, my initial fear was like, oh, God, this thing is going to kill me. And then as I, you know, lived a month and two months and didn't feel any different, didn't look any different, I was like, oh, my God, this thing's not going to kill me, and I'm going to have to deal with all this bullshit about people being scared and people talking about it. And so I decided I wasn't going to talk about it. I never acknowledged um, that I had HIV to even my closest friends. And so I went through all of high school um, not talking about it. And, you know, when I started dating, I realized that, this is something I'm going to have to address at some point. And after high school, um, you know, when I was 20, most of my friends had graduated high school and were going off to find jobs and go to college and do whatever the next phase of their life was. And at 20, I didn't have a plan. And I was like, wow, I've lived half my life diagnosed with HIV. I need to do something. So I decided that the fastest way for me to speak out about it, because that didn't seem scary to me anymore, was to put up a website. And I did that. And then I started writing a column for Pause and you know, I'd speak a little bit, but not too much, really, until um, Gwen and I met. She was looking for somebody with HIV um, for um, for a project that she wanted to do to go into high schools and have somebody share their personal experience. So, you know, I met Gwen because I was, you know, in the right place at the right time, and I was comfortable speaking out about my status. So, so it's kind of funny when something feels right. Um, I think when all the signs, your heart and your mind are pointing in one direction, I think you need to follow it, but I think a lot of people find excuses maybe not to. And had every excuse to continue to not speak about HIV um, and, and, and never begrudge anyone who is, you know, quiet about their status because um, I know what that feels like. I, I never thought I'd speak about this, and, and now I, I really can't kind of imagine my life otherwise. Now, where exactly? You guys actually met at, like, somewhere specific, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in line somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> like, because yeah. I think that's kind of, like interesting how that unfolded so i kind of wanted you to talk a little bit about that sean kind of skipped over it <laughs> yeah go for it buddy yeah i guess if you're a believer in fate this was one of the biggest uh biggest ones uh you could you could have um we met we actually had talked on the phone once well um i called a local aid service organization to find a speaker um they kind of had like a local speakers bureau to find someone you know who was positive to come speak at these high school classrooms um that i was working with and uh I, they put me in touch with Sean, so we spoke on the phone once, but he didn't actually fit the criteria of the um, the program that I was looking for. I really wanted someone who had contracted HIV sexually, and so uh, you know after we got off the phone, I never really thought that I would talk to him again because it just, it just didn't work out. Um, but we we both uh, I went to school at James Madison University for grad school, and Jeannie White, Ryan White's mother, was speaking there one night, and so of course I had to go. And it was a huge crowd. There was probably like seven or 800 people in the crowd that night, um, which was very awesome to see that many people coming out to hear uh, her story about her son. And uh, afterwards, she took questions. And so I, uh, I went up and I got in line and I was waiting in line by myself. And, you know, there was kind of a long line to talk to her. And there was this guy in front of me and, and two friends. And the guy, I kind of like listened to him uh, talking to his friends. And when he went up to talk to Jeannie, I was I was interested. And so... I uh, I was kind of eavesdropping on what he was saying to her, and I realized it was Sean. He was, you know, telling his story and explaining how, how he was like Ryan. And so when he turned around, I introduced myself. But, you know, it was just really interesting that we met in line 
you know, waiting to talk to Jeannie White. So I think Sean says this in the book, or or if not, he said it on a blog or something like that. You know, Ryan White was definitely kind of like looking down on Sean at least and kind of pulling the strings. We we that's cute. Yeah, (laughs) I like that story. (laughs) Harmony, like um, from beyond (laughs) guardian dating service for like fellow. I'm sure Ryan White is your personal cupid. I'm 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 quite positive about it. Yeah, I definitely I definitely credit him as such. Yeah. (laughs) Which is ironic because I don't think a lot of years ago you would have wanted to have anything anything to do with him. When I was first diagnosed, um, he was he was on TV all the time and and he was in People magazine all the time and my mom in particular of my parents was like kind of obsessed, you know, like with following his story and, and a lot of people were, but you know, people in the hemophilia community kind definitely felt like he was kind of like another son. And oh man, I would I would be like, you know, mom, you know, turn off that TV. You know, why are you watching that? It's you know, it's such a bummer. And, and Ryan was just trying to educate people, but I didn't understand that. For me, right. seeing him was just a reminder of my own status. <coughs> forget about. So I would like flip to wrestling, and my mom would be like, "Mom, can you turn that off? It's so obnoxious." So I just was at a different <laughs> place. So it was great when I started speaking out. I really kind of, you know, was able to kind of look back and be like, "Wow!" Like now I get like, you know, I, at the time he was a kid, I was a kid. I was like, God, you know, I. You know, I don't know why he's doing this, but, you know, it took till I was 20 to be like, oh, okay. Because it's Got like, it. I kind of felt like, gosh, it's so easy to understand, like, that you're not at risk. The general public, I just felt like when I was first diagnosed and everybody's going crazy and I, had to, and I saw him on TV kind of explaining these basic things, like, you know, you can't get it from sharing water, you can't do this. I just thought, like, God, how many times does he have to tell people this? Like, Well, do you think, I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, I, I don't know him, his personal story that well, but I think he was sort of forced into that position just because of all the press. And then I think you have to either decide to own it and make something of it or not. And I, I think that's just kind of the way he went. It's like, he didn't really have a choice about being in the spotlight. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And he, he definitely used it and, and educate a lot of people. And, you know, I bet in a lot of ways him sharing his story, is as hard as my small-town experience with HIV was, um, you know, him sharing his story probably, you know, the allies we did have on our side, you know, a big part of that may have been because they had seen, you know, what he did. Right. That's interesting. I'm looking in the chat room now, and um, Dab from Dab's the AIDS Bear Project just mm-hmm. wrote that Ryan White was one of the first kids to receive a Dab's the AIDS Bear in the 80s. Oh, kind of interesting. <laughs> I'm looking and at three that, dad the AIDS bears right now. They're sitting on the <laughs> across from my You guys are also an ambassadors of hope for dad's the AIDS bear project, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I see your pictures up on Facebook and stuff. So, and dad was telling me earlier before the show that you guys were also ambassadors, as am I. Um, we need to get Jack on that list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to you need to put like little. Uh, swimming speedo on your dab the eighth bear because I, <laughs> I, I was playing a show with my band and um i totally like rocked out the dab the eighth bear and put on some like you know 80s you know synth shades and i saw and was, that <laughs> yeah it was totally cool like i set him up on like my my band we have a neon sign that's kind of our gimmick and it was like the greatest like christmas present gwen ever got me <laughs> <laughs> so i sat dab the aids bear on top of the sign for the whole set and it was just it was just fun it's 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 a cool way to raise awareness and i think uh yeah and we sold some there too so you know that we we all the money went uh back to that so we we tried to make some money for them as well <laughs> yeah totally totally and it's a cool way to raise awareness and they're cute little bears and yeah, I mean it's, it's easy to pose with a bear and, and then have a cool uh, have a cool Facebook profile picture. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, one of the um, one of the big things that people always talk about is how um, you know if somebody gets it through containment blood products or through a blood transfusion, and somebody gets like myself who gets it through you know unsafe sexual practice. There's always like that, I guess that barrier between the two worlds, if you want to put it. And I know you spoke about it in your book, and I just want to quote a little bit of it because it's hilarious the way that you <laughs> you actually put it. And it's funny because when I first uh, commented on your blog when I got your book, I remember I put I was like, it reminds me, it, it's hilarious awareness is exactly what it is because <laughs> I, you laugh through the whole thing. And one of the things that you write in the book, it says, the relationship between thin bloods and gay people is often strained. Hemophiliacs resent the fact that many people associate AIDS solely with gay city folk. 
homosexuals in turn resent the fact that the that the innocent victims get special treatment and sympathy because of the way they were infected. Hemophiliacs, in turn, are pissed that they didn't have a smile on their face when contracting the virus. For me, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, the the facts about it is true, but it's just funny for me. You have to laugh about it the way that that you wrote the book. It's it's an amazing way that you you reach out to people living with AIDS through the book. I think it's great. Thank you. And I I think, too, like, uh, you know, a lot of people just get – get caught up like in their emotions and they, they know they're angry about this and, and if you lay it out like that it's like wow like you know do we really have like the luxury within the AIDS community to be like resentful and battling each other for these things like I think the bigger thing is like we really need to unite and raise awareness and you know what like we we can all raise awareness like there are people that, that might relate to my story um, more so there are people Robert you could tell your story and you could be speaking to a group that might relate more to yours. Um, but I think every story has value. And for me, um, you know, I just, I, I hated, like, the innocent victim label. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I was really, when I first put up the website, I thought I was going to face a lot of heat for, for talking and, and kind of making fun of myself and talking about dating and being positive. But I got, like, this, this you know, this great response, and I think it was, it was because of how it contracted the virus. And so as I, was, as I was meeting other people who were educating and putting, you know, their stories up, uh, I saw that they kind of weren't getting the same reception. And so for me, like, immediately it became, like, a very, very important um, to, to not distinguish, to, to not highlight, you know, how I'd become infected. I mean, everybody asked, like, well, how did, how did you get it? You know, you've been living it for 10 years, you're 20, what? You know, at the time, people would ask. Right. So I'd have to kind of explain. But, um, but a lot of that kind of, you know, subsided when Gwen and I started educating together because I was no longer the quote-unquote innocent victim. Like, then I was, like, I was the young adult, you know, dating the, the, the girl and, and, and deciding to have sex in the relationship. You know, we used condoms, were safe, but people's perception of, of what I was bringing to the table completely altered when they had to look at me and look at Gwen together. Right. Realize, like, oh, and, and so for me it became, like, the updated version of, of explaining that you can't get it from, from, from sharing a glass of water. For me, the updated version was explaining that if you know your status and you know how to use condoms properly and explaining you know, why condoms don't work and it's usually human error, that that you can prevent the spread of this in couples in these uh, serodiverse, uh, I think the word is serodiscordant, but that sounds like you're butting heads all the time. Right. Uh, serodiverse, <laughs> yeah, you know, being in a serodiverse relationship, couples... Um, couples who are doing this have a great success rate in keeping the negative partner negative. Oh, yeah. And actually, I wanted to ask you, I briefly, after I was um, on the TV show on Project Runway, I was linked to one of the contestants on Top Chef, and he is HIV negative. And since we were both kind of in the public eye, the bloggers went crazy. And there was a few times where people commented that the same things like, oh, well, Dale must really love Jack and, um, you know, in order to risk his health like that by being with him. And, I mean, it was just so stupid, some of the comments. I just wondered if that kind of, you ever had that kind of um, experience or any type of reaction like that. We definitely have that experience. I mean, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. You know, I, we definitely have that experience. I mean, and there's a range of emotions. There's the, oh, you're such a saint for being with him. Right. Like, really? <laughs> No, you know, I mean, I might be a scene for being with him, but it has nothing to do with right. him. You know, <laughs> there are plenty of other things. Um, totally. But, you know, there's definitely that. And then it goes all the way to, you know, I was once, I mean, you know, it's a one-time thing, but it definitely sticks to you called suicidal for being with right. him. Right. You know? Right. So, I mean, the bulk of it is more on the, like, oh, you you know, you're such a saint, you're such an angel, whatever that stuff is. And, and honestly, it's pretty, I mean, I really... I don't, I know they don't mean it in offense, and so right. I don't, you know, I don't so much take it like that, but there are times when it, it feels offensive to me. You know, it feels like my relationship is different than their relationship just because my partner has a medical condition, you know? And it's like I chose to be with my partner because I fell in love with him and not because, you know, because he had or didn't have HIV. 
Right. So, you know, it, it, it is a little bit, I'll say, offensive from the negative partner's perspective that, that people look at us like that, that we, you know, didn't really choose our relationships like they chose their relationships. Right. That's interesting because I'm in a, you know, in a positive relationship, and I guess my, part, my partner is out in the public, but he's not public about basically being with me and me being positive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that we kind of don't intertwine them together just because um, – People can be cruel, you know. Yeah. People will assume that if I'm positive, then so is he. Mm-hmm. So, what what keeps you going? What makes you want to continue to do it? Is it the ignorance of the people that come up? Then, like you know, you have to change them over, or like you know what I mean? Like what empowers you to keep going and doing it when people may say things that kind of make you mad like that? Oh, I think well, I think overall, um, I was prepared for a lot worse. Like, I was prepared for the worst when I put up my website, and I was just like, you know what, I'm going to do this, I'm going to talk about it, I'm going to do it my way no matter what happens, and then I got this great response. And so I'd already kind of conditioned myself to, like, you know, this isn't going to be easy. And and one thing my mom said is, like, you know, once you tell somebody, that's it, cat's out of the bag, you know, you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yes. Like, I was almost like, bring on the, the bad responses, I want to deal with them, I want to you know, I want to be strong about this. And so, you know, I didn't really have that, and I was just dealing with good responses, and, and that was awesome. So I think I was prepared that it wasn't going to be easy um, when I started. And so, like, yeah, those things, you know, uh, you know, some people will never get it. And I think when Gwen and I um, first started, you know, putting our personal life out there and answering questions, and we, we realized, like, you know, there are going to be some people who will have 20 follow-up questions. They don't really want to be educated about it. They're not going to leave knowing any more than they came in. And so you just have to kind of move on because there are people that, that are really kind of fascinated about, you know, that we can be safe and they get it once they hear us speak and once they hear our experiences. So for me, it's just about realizing, like, you're not going to be able to educate everybody you speak to. Um, we're lucky we get we reach, you know, the vast majority. And so I just choose not to focus on, on the very small percentage of people um, of a negative opinion of what we're doing, and and I just um, you know kind of focus on you know this is something that that I feel like I'm contributing to society by like kind of sharing these stories, and and you know I've had I've been fortunate I've had people tell me that that it's it's helped them out like you know when you when you wrote me Robert that that meant a lot, and so I just I figured to focus on on that response and not so much on on you know somebody right. writing a paper that went suicidal like after a, a story came out. And I, I think for me, I really do live for the, you know, the, 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 the we get, sorry, we're stuttering. We get sometimes where when we speak at colleges, it's a required program. So student athletes or uh, fraternities and sororities or health educators or whatever are required to come to our program, which is interesting because at first I used to think like, ugh, I don't want to be a required program for anyone. You know, they don't right. want to be there. I don't want to do that. But my mind changed really, uh, really soon after that started happening because the best response for me and what I kind of live for, and it sounds a little weird, is when a student comes up to us afterwards and says, I was dreading this program and thought it was going to suck. I mean, so they came in thinking this is going to blow. And turn around and say, but it was really great and I really learned something. And I feel like if I can turn someone or if we can turn someone from, wow, I really didn't want to be here, I had to be here, to I really learned something, I mean, to me, that's like such a wide spectrum to, to, to jump in an hour, and those are kind of the moments that I live for, and it makes all the rest of it worth it by far. Yeah. Right, and uh, well, I think <clears throat> if you're not part of the HIV community and you really don't, I mean, like I'm assuming much many of those students that are required to go to those things, are they even, you know, they may be sexually active, they may be at risk, but they just don't see HIV as part of their Exactly. As part of their existence, really, it's sort of a you know something. Oh, that could happen, but it won't happen to me. That sort of thing. And and I <laughs> yeah. And I just think it's 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 interesting when then they're confronted with that, and someone in front of them that that you know is a normal looking person that could be anyone, and and that has a real story to tell about it, and then it and then it brings it it makes it more real for them. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think uh, for us. You know, it's important for us to kind of tell tell this 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 audience that you know we're we're safe. We know my status. We we use condoms properly, um, and we kind of say like you know, 
you or your friends, if you're out there having sex and you don't know your partner's status and you're not being safe, you guys are at higher risk than, than Gwen is of contracting HIV. Right. Um, and, and that's a message that really, I think, hits home for them, you know, because they come in looking at me as the super high-risk one in the room when we really try to explain that I'm at lower risk than most people in the room. Right. And you turn it back on them like that and, and use that as the prevention message. I mean, I think that really hits home for people, and I think that's, you know, one of our effective messages of saying, you know, having unprotected sex with someone of unknown status is much higher risk than me having sex with Sean. Yeah, Yeah. and if you know your status and if you know your viral load and you're practicing safe sex, I mean, I had two long-term boyfriends for over three years each, and they were both negative, and they were negative when they left the relationship. So it can be done, you know, mm -hmm. quite, quite, quite easily. So Absolutely. Right. Well, I just want to remind people um, who are in the chat room and are listening live that you guys can call in and um, speak with Gwen and Sean at uh, 347-215-9442. Or you can ask a question in the chat room if you'd like. Um, one of the things I did want to mention to both of you um, is, as a team, you guys are great. I think um, you guys are so adorable in your pictures here in the <laughs> diner. I think you guys are so freaking cute, like seriously, <laughs> like for real. And when you go out there and when you're speaking as a positive negative couple, I think it gives people like me and people who are newly diagnosed at a later age like in their 20s or in their teens or like me when I was diagnosed, hope. Because when we're diagnosed, we go through the denial, we go through the depression, and we feel like we're never going to find love again. And for you two to go out there and publicly speak about being in love and not fearing your pet virus, it offers so many people hope and gives them, I guess, the courage to, be, to move forward and to realize that they're able to fall in love and have a relationship. Because a lot of people think once they're diagnosed, they're not going to be able to fall in love and have that again. And I think by you going out there and, and sharing your story together as a couple is so powerful. Hmm. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. It was, it was, um, that was one of the things when I, when I first decided to speak out was I didn't want it to be just solely beneficial for people who weren't infected. I didn't want to just be like 100% prevention, like don't let, don't let what's happened to me happen to you. Um, because I'd seen, like, you know, when I was a kid and I was diagnosed and when, you know, you saw commercials about it and it was like, don't get this or you'll be dead and the Grim Reaper standing there beside the word AIDS, I was just like, oh, my God, that, like, made me panic. And so I, I just thought, you know, you can talk about prevention without destroying the hopes of people already infected, you know, or, or bumming out people who, who have a loved one who's infected with HIV. And so, so yeah, I just think... Um, you know, it just creates a healthier society of people with HIV feel, feel comfortable in their own skin and feel like they can be out there in the dating world and, and that they do have something to offer a relationship and they can be safe. Um, I think everybody gets thrown challenges, and I think the people who are most deemed most attractive to other people are, wow, you dealt with that? I can't imagine dealing with that. And, and so I think in a way, like, you know, getting, getting the challenge of your, your HIV diagnosis, if you overcome that, I, you know, I don't think I'm crazy in thinking that, that would that would be appealing to somebody. Um, like, wow, you you know you you overcame that. You you're leading a healthy life and you're positive and, and you know I just think we have to, we just have to kind of not accept less just because um, we're HIV positive. Well, and I do have to say there I think there's something to the idea that dealing with something as life changing as an HIV diagnosis does change you as a person and. And I think in a lot of ways it makes you, and at least in my case, I think it made me a better person. It made me think, you know, make decisions, important decisions about how I wanted to live my life. It made me more introspective. I mean, it, 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 I think it added to just my development as a person. And I think, um, you know, it's just another layer of a, a person's personality when you've dealt with something like that can be, you know, a, a fatal disease or at the time or whatever, you know, but it's, it's, it's empowering. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a, a experience of growth when you're, when you're faced with something we're all going to face, which is like our mortality and HIV is that it's like, it's you testing positive and you having to figure out, you know, the worry of dying at some point, which we all will have to deal with whether we're positive or negative, but it expedites that thought process and it does, 
it does present an, an opportunity to grow and to and to be more compassionate and and to really decide like you know I'm not sure if we get another go around with this this life and and I need to do with my life um you know what's going to be enjoyable and so so yeah I mean it happened for me so young but I think you know, I'm kind of glad that I was able to deal with that. So at 20, I was able to, to kind of get to the next phase of acceptance. I actually have a caller online, and I believe that it's Dab from Florida. Dab, is that you? Yes. Hey, how's everyone doing today? Hey. Hey. Uh, I wanted to thank the two of you for not only what you do with our ambassadors of hope, but it's so important that we have role models like you Couples who are serodiscordant, going out and showing people that it is possible to have healthy sexual relations and not worry about catching the virus. Oh, thanks so much. Um, yeah, I think I think everybody can kind of take control of their own uh, sexuality and and be safe, and and it can be fun too. I think a lot of times people think, oh man, you have to be safe all the time. You always have to have a condom around. You have to when do you bring it out? It's like, I don't know. Like it, it for me, it's not, you know, it's not a bummer. Like I see a condom come out, I get, I get very happy. It's like, <laughs> you know, I want to see more condoms. You know, like, you know like, so it's, you know, I just think, you know, people think of safe sex maybe as being less fun and less, less of the moment, but that's not the case. So, you know, it's, yeah. They must have never played with the glow-in-the-dark condoms then, because that can actually be quite fun. <laughs> um, but, I, think, but uh, an, I love those Burger King commercials where the king is scaring people in the middle of the night. And oh, I think, yeah. I think the floating glow-in-the-dark penis should be the next one. Like Somebody, <laughs> somebody needs to wake up to that, and, and I, think, I think us uh, AIDS educators need to partner up with the king and just scare the hell out of people and realize, like, oh, glow-in-the-dark, they could be fun, you know? There you go. There you go. I miss my uh, calling well, and advertising. I think. <laughs> I would stick to. I would stick to what you're doing now. <laughs> uh, but another thing I would like to bring up is a little off the subject, but still HIV related. For people that are listening, Ryan White funding has a sunset date of September 26 this year. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, on the national level, we're getting more calls against Ryan White being extended than we're getting for Ryan White to be extended. So anyone that's listening, I need you to contact your elected officials. Please urge them to extend Ryan White funding. Don't forget to include our president and our Secretary of Health, Kathleen Sebelius. If you don't know how or who your representatives are or how to contact them, just go to www.dab the AIDS Bear Project, click on Programs and Services, page down, and there's a section how to find your local representative. <coughs> Excuse me. And then you type in your address, and they'll give you a list of all your representatives. Cool. Well, Thank you for saying that because I just went online. We actually went to two town hall meetings about health care last night and the night before here in Charlottesville where Sean and I live. And um, I had signed up last night to meet with our Congressman uh, Congressman Perriello. Um, he was doing one-on-ones after the meeting, but the meeting went so long. There were 1,000 people there last night. I just looked online, Sean, and it said that there were 1,000 people there. So the meeting went so long that we had to leave, actually. So I just went on, and I'm going to make, actually, an appointment with him because I was going to talk with him last night about uh, the Ryan White funding. And so I, I, I thank you for bringing that up because I do encourage other people to go out. They don't have to make a meeting. They can just call or email. But, yes, definitely contact your your congressman about that. Yeah, and I'll I'll be sharing that information on the blog as well. Um, yeah, I think it's totally important for people to to meet face to face with the representatives um, because I think a lot of times, um, you know, people with HIV we're kind of we're kind of invisible in our local communities because a lot of people um, don't feel comfortable sharing their status. Um, but I think I think it's really important that we advocate um, for our own well-being and and Ryan White um, Care Act funding is is important because. From what I understand, they have less restrictions as to how they can use the funds, and a lot of times, um, you know, when, when funding isn't available, Ryan White is there to kind of pick up the slack. So, so yeah, I think it's very important that this gets uh, reauthorized. 
Thanks, Dabs, for calling in, man. Yeah, thanks, Dabs. It's good to talk to you. So what do you guys have coming up? Do you have anything coming up? (laughs) What's Um, coming up, Sean? What's coming up? Um, We're going to be doing a couple conferences um, Mm -hmm. this fall, which we're very excited about. We're going to be at NACA. And, um, yeah, we're with the, we're with the new uh, speaking agency, the college agency. So, um, you know, we've been working with them this summer, getting things together. And so, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I guess uh, coming up in, in the near future, we're going to be going to Dragon Con, which is not HIV-related, but Gwen, <laughs> Gwen manages a rock band um, <laughs> called Bella Morte. So we're going to be going down there, and, uh, and I'm going to be watching people, like, you know, in, in their favorite Star Wars costumes and... It's kind of like like Comic-Con that just got a lot of press that was out in L.A. a couple weeks ago, Um, but Mm -hmm. this is actually more sci-fi fantasy convention. It's like the largest, world's largest sci-fi fantasy convention, and it's in Atlanta every year. But I was was thinking, you know, dragon condoms. condoms. (laughs) Yeah, like... Are they yeah. four dragons? Are they dragon sized? What what exactly is your thought on this? I don't know. This is like a great place to be passing out condoms, you know? Yeah. Well there's a lot of people in some weird sci fi costumes probably having sex. Yeah. <laughs> I, have a, I have another caller on the line here. Let me bring this caller on. Caller, yeah. what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is Scott from New York. Hey Hi. Scott, how are you? Hey. Hey. Good. How how is everybody? Doing great. Doing great. Good, good. Um, so, hello, uh, Robert, Jack, Sean, and Gwen. I just wanted to say um, to Sean and Gwen especially, thank you so much for making um, being a positoid cool. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I just, you know, um, I love your book, um, Sean. And uh, as you know, I used it as a quote um, in uh, my camp session um, for the young people. Mm. And uh, it went out, it went over really, really well. And I think you know, using um, your story as an example for the young people that I work with is huge. Um, and then to know and show that um, a positive person can have a successful and happy um, marriage and relationship is um, is enormous for not only um, everybody living with HIV and AIDS, but also young people, too. So I wanted to thank you guys for everything that you do and keep up the great work. Oh, uh, thank you. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to getting some coffee when next time we're up in New York, Scott. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and uh, thanks anytime to um, you know, there's so many people doing so much great work um, educating about HIV, and so um, the fact that you kind of use what we're doing, you know, and we can't be there, um, you know, that that means a lot. So thanks for everything that you do. And Sean, sure. get coffee in person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Have Thanks a have a good uh, afternoon, you guys. Take Bye, care. Scott. Bye, everyone. I had another caller who was online, but they hung up. Maybe they'll call back in. Um, so you um, you said you're going to conferences during you know the um, the summer you're going through them, or are they in the fall? The conferences that you're going to. Um, the conferences are in the fall, and then we just got word that we're doing one actually next spring. We we tend to book kind of far out, um, which is a Greek conference for fraternities and sororities in the Midwest. Um, which is always a really fun, fun group of students, and uh, and it's always fun for me. I was in a sorority in college, and that's actually how I got my very first interest in HIV. Is my sorority had a young woman speak um, to my sorority house who was HIV positive, and that's really what sparked my interest in in learning more about HIV and learning about how HIV affected young people. And so I, I'm always happy to speak to the fraternities and sororities because that's really, you know, shaped my life a lot and, and really got me involved in HIV. So I always kind of think if I can just get, you know, one person of the thousands out there uh, that we speak to to do, you know, to get involved in HIV, then I feel like that, you know, has really made, that's for me make, made a really big difference. So, so we're excited about that as well. And then, you know, we're just starting now to kind of um, fill in our our dates with schools and things like that um, for the fall semester. People are just kind of now getting out of their summer haze, I think, and uh, right. and gearing up for fall. So, so we're getting a lot of contact about that as well. Yeah, we try to get across that, you know, sexual health is something that just shouldn't be, uh, you know... Relegated to World AIDS Week? Yeah. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. If it, it's it, even there. And that's, that's my thing. Like, World AIDS Day, December 1st, like, could they have picked a, a worse time? Like... <laughs> like there's, there's between Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's nothing going on there. Yeah, no, no, right. No. <laughs> so, so yeah, the the two times we've ever been invited to speak in Fargo, 
um, <laughs> happened to be around World AIDS Day. <laughs> so, so I kind of I kind of like trudging through the snow on World AIDS Day. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, so we've never been asked to speak in like Miami on World AIDS Day. It's yeah, always been. But we love we we love the Midwest, so it's not it's not <laughs> at all. Yeah, but, any, uh, anytime we're invited. To it would be nice to have like the U.S. Conference on AIDS in Hawaii or something. I, I would know. love that. Exactly. <laughs> something. Are you guys? One more caller on the line. Oh, go ahead. I'm going to bring this call along because we have five minutes left. Uh, area code 404, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, Robert, Jack, Sean, and Gwen. It's Nina. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Yay. And so I heard about Dragon Con, and I heard Dragon Condom, and I want to say that that's an excellent idea because I'm actually marching in the parade. Are you? One of the elements. Yeah. <laughs> as oh. one of the elements in the periodic table. I'm platinum, and uh, really... As you should be. Of course you are. <laughs> well, because did you know that the name platinum comes from the Spanish word platina? So it's got Latina right in there. <laughs> That's right. Wow, um, a, plat- a platina uh, dragon con. How could you go wrong with that? Exactly. So all I need is one of those Latina shirts, the letter P, a blonde wig, and I'm going to get some glittery condoms. And I think the, that's going to be my toss-out. So thanks for that idea. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm seriously considering this dragon condom thing now. Like, I feel like we need to contact someone to see if we can use their logo and get them manufactured. Yeah, Nina, you got you got some connections. Like, we should definitely uh, talk about this. He's <laughs> like, I don't have dragon condom connections. What are you talking about? Not dragon con- Well, you know, <laughs> my roommate got into the whole dragon con thing and, and – you know, he's let me know several times during his sexcapades that he's used condoms. So he, well, that's good to know. Yeah, he and I were, were good roommates, although the abundance of sex that he was having and I was not is, is probably why we don't live together. Or the nine hours of Dungeons & Dragons he would play every Sunday. So take your pick. <laughs> um, but I actually had a, I had a question. So yeah. my question is, is, I guess it's for Gwen, lady to lady. Okay. Um, I, I guess in your relationship with, with Sean and when you were getting to know each other and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. how, how much do you think that maybe his, his openness or, let's say, confidence with his status, like, made it perhaps a non-issue for you? Mm, that's a great question. And I actually try to, to, to get this across to people sometimes. I think it had an enormous amount of impact on um, I don't know if I would say my falling in love with him, but it definitely had an enormous impact on, you know, my confidence and in, in, in potentially having a relationship with someone who had HIV. I feel like because he, you know, he felt secure in, in his status and also, to be honest, because he had had relationships before me, you know, and, and uh, that just made it seem like, okay, you know, he knows what he's doing. And I was fortunate that I was an HIV educator at the time, so, you know, I knew a lot about how to use a condom correctly and all those kind of things. But, you know, once you're in the moment, it, it, some of that stuff goes out the window a little bit. So I think it made a huge <laughs> difference for me that he was secure in who he was and that, and to be honest, that he was out about his status. Um, I think it's really hard. I get actually a good amount of emails from women who are in relationships like mine uh, where their partner's positive and they're not, but their partner might not be, you know, out about their status and, you know, not they're not allowed to tell any of their friends or family. And I have to be honest, I think that would have been really difficult for me because, you know, my friends and my family are really important to me and I want them to know about my life. So I think it would have been really hard if my partner, if Sean, you know, hadn't have been out and wouldn't and wouldn't have wanted me to share share that um, about our relationship. So I, it, it, it did make a really big difference for me. And I guess I'm using the word out a little loosely because it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be public about it, but just being right. comfortable with it, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I don't, yeah, I should I should clarify that too. It didn't mean that he had to have, a, you know, a website broadcasting it like he did. <laughs> but but I do think it would have been difficult, like I said, even if he, if he, he hadn't, even really, you know, talk to his own family about it or, or, or I wasn't allowed to tell my, my closest friends and family. I think that's where it becomes really difficult for the negative partner because they really feel isolated and there's no support system there um, for them, you know, because I think you need support systems outside of just your, your relationship. So you need to be able to, to talk to those people as well. 
Right, and I want to thank Nina for calling in. Um, I had to cut her off. We're down to the last 60 seconds, so okay. Gwen and Sean, thank you so much for spending an hour with us and sharing your thoughts and all your can wonderful you, stories. <laughs> Sean, can you blurt out your um, blog site so people don't know where to go read it? Yeah, yeah. Um, you can find Gwen and I on Sean and Gwen, Gwen with two N's, dot com. Um, I also blog at pod.com, which is a little easier for people to find. And, okay. uh, yeah, we're also on Twitter, Sean Decker, and then Gwen Beringer. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, you can find all those links on seanandgwen.com. And the Facebook, we have a, uh, a fan page there as well, Sean and Gwen. We're on the Face Place, as on Kathy Griffin place, calls yes. <laughs> so, Excellent. So, yeah, we're definitely accessible, so we'd love to hear from people. And, and thank you guys Yes, thank you guys so much. On. This was awesome. Our pleasure. Thank you. You guys have a great week. Thanks. You too. You too. Bye, bye. guys. Bye-bye.